I remember it got to the point that my wife, um, she felt, felt very strongly that my time was getting closer to the, it, it was going to get to the point where I was either going to go to prison or I was going to die. And she didn't want to be around to watch me kill myself with the things that I was doing. And I think there was a, there was, there was a moment, uh, a night where she just kind of had enough and she said, I need to do something for things to change. And so she actually left and kind of moved out. And that was kind of the very, that, that was one of the catalysts that got me to kind of break free. guys welcome back to the reclamation we are especially excited today because we have our first male guest and as you know we have been talking on our podcast a lot about the female voice a lot about female reclamation but we think that the masculine and men they're so important in the story of humanity as the whole so our guest today is Andy McDonald, and he was born and raised in Provo, Utah. He is married to his wife, Bailey, for just about 13 years, and he has four really cute, blonde little girls that range from seven months old to eight years old. Currently, he is living in St. George, Utah, but for the last three years, he traveled around and lived in an RV with his cute little family and his big old dog, and we're excited <laughs> to hear a few stories from him on, on the, that big adventure. And currently, he's a UX director at a company called Streamcage. It's an email marketing company, and he has clients all across the country. Andy, we are so honored to have you share your reclamation. So Andy, tell us some of your favorite parts of living in an RV for three years and maybe what some of the most challenging parts of that were too. Really excited to hear that. Great. Thank you. Um, so first off, like you said, I born and raised in Provo and, and was living in Provo and, and things were great and right around... Uh, 2020, we had we had COVID and and everyone was just trying to deal with that and and I remember it was maybe 2021 when um, I just felt like everyone was just waiting for things to go back to normal and we we realized that things aren't going to go back to the way they were and we needed to go and kind of create a new life that we need that we wanted and so this was kind of the time where we were thinking that we wanted to sell our house and, and, and go and homestead somewhere. I kind of go and get like a, a farm somewhere, raise some chickens and, and cows. But it, it, was a, it was a big jump and it was hard to do. Um, kind of, especially where we were, it was just something that you don't do selling your house in an established neighborhood. And, you know, and everyone, like, what, what would people think? And I knew, we, we knew that it was right. And I remember telling my wife, Bailey, saying like, you know, I, I could do this and I could do this, but the one thing I couldn't do was live full-time on the road in an RV. And I think I specifically said those words. And of course, that was the one thing we ended up doing. So it felt like it was definitely from God saying like, hey, this is what you needed to do. 
and in in some in some ways it was nice because um he needed to get us from from you know point a to point b but it was too big of a jump so he's like okay i'm gonna have you kind of travel for a little bit and um and so that's kind of how it all started and things were exciting and fast um I, I had no idea what like a fifth rule was. I had no idea what any of it was. So we just kind of just jumped into it. It was awesome. Um, had a lot of close calls um, looking back on it, but uh, the first year was going to be the year that we make mistakes. The second year was going to be, okay, now we kind of understand it. Let's go, let's get going. And then the third year, I, and that's kind of where I was thinking, it, it might start to tell off. So things were really awesome. We had at, at the time we had three or we had our three girls. Um, we have a, a big golden doodle dog. Um, we were fortunate enough to get a pretty big fifth wheel and we were able to get a truck and a fifth wheel. And we thought that we were leaving the community. We thought we were leaving our friends and family and we were going to kind of go off on our own and kind of be by ourselves. But it wasn't like that at all. Um, there's a there's a community of people out there that are really just like us, and I I think this is kind of recently, kind of in, in the last five years of families like us, especially being able to work remotely, and so we we would we would pull into like an RV place, and instantly, just kind of gravitate towards kind of people like us, um, younger kind of younger family with kids our age, and just become friends. It, it was one of those things where um, the kids became friends instantly. And what I loved about it was um, uh, there wasn't really like an age group of kids. You had 10 year olds hanging out with five year olds, everyone. Basically, if you had a if you had a bike or a set of wheels, then you all just kind of became friends. And, and, and it was it was awesome. Um, and so we, we made some really good friends on the road. And that, that was that's probably one of the best things about traveling was meeting the people and the friends. And what worked for us in our schedule was kind of staying in a place uh, one, like for a month at a time and then traveling. Um, we didn't realize that there's a, there's a lot of logistics to it. Um, and we did it wrong at first. And there's also kind of a taboo of like being in RV parks. And, and these are all things that we experienced that were completely wrong. Um, we never felt safer on the road. Um, being in these RV parks, we felt like we could literally just let our kids go out and just explore. We never felt nervous about that. And and so those were cool experiences. Um, there was times where we were traveling like a place at a, like a week at a time. And that was just too much because it takes a, it takes a day to kind of unpack and get everything ready. And then you're tired from the travel, so you kind of you kind of rest a day, and then you maybe have a couple of days to kind of chill and explore, and then at that point you got to get ready to leave. So we felt like being there for a month allowed you to kind of sit and and kind of recoup, and then go out and and find the two or three places in that state or area that makes it famous, makes it kind of understand the culture. Um, you're not really rushed; you can kind of take your time, and then. And then really be able to like uh, feel what it's like to live in this state and this state and this state. Um, so that that was great. At, at first, we we didn't do the the location and temperatures right, where we were in cold places in in at, at the wrong time and hot places at the wrong time. 
And so we, that, that was kind of the first year of learning them, those mistakes. Um, especially there, there's this thing called boondocking and boondocking is when you go off camping, you have, you're using the water in your trailer and you, and you don't have any electricity. So we had a little bit of solar on our trailer. We had one panel, um, a little bit of a generator. And we thought that that was going to be enough to kind of power everything. And it was barely enough to, it was literally barely enough to like turn the TV on and like run that for a little bit. So we learned really quickly that um, we were pretty naive thinking that we had enough solar to like do, especially my job being on the road. Um, I had to have my computer charged the whole time. And so we ended up going to like uh, the desert in the summer where it was a hundred degrees and the RV is like 120, like it's so crazy hot. And we thought our solar was going to be able to power the, uh, the AC and it didn't at all. So we just, we learned really quickly that if you want to get in cooler weather, you got to drive North a couple States. It's hard to kind of pinpoint some of the, the, the best places because, uh, we really liked Arizona in the winter. Um, especially that's where we met some of our best friends, but yeah, it, 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 it was, it was a great experience. You have to have a strong why. And I remember these people saying like, we sold our house. We don't have a mortgage. We're going to save all this money. We're going to live on the road and save all this money and then, and then buy another house. And it seems like, it seems like they were only traveling for like a month because thinking that you're going to save money wasn't a, a big enough reason to be on the road like that. Um, too many things happen. It's just not a strong enough motivation, at least for me. What was your why, Andy? What was your little family's why that kept you out there for so long? So we, 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 in a way we felt like it's what God wanted us to do, especially selling the house, doing things that, um, kind of getting our family to move forward. And so that was a good enough reason to do all these big steps of selling our house, getting this trailer, doing all these different things. And, and when you're out there on the road, um, you're still living life and you're still doing these kind of day-to-day things, but in, in a sense, you feel like you're doing them with a greater purpose. You don't know where you're going, but you fit, but you know that you're where you're supposed to be. And, and so that was probably the biggest why of like, you're doing this investment for you and your girls. Um, yes, it, it, it brought us together and closer. Um, I mean, fit and literally we were in a, just in a single space. And so when, when you had arguments with your, with your spouse or with your kids, like you, you had to learn to deal with it quickly. Um, that brought us together. Um, so all, it it was a combination of all these different things grouped with the realization that, um, you felt like kind of God was pushing you a little bit. And I think that's what kind of got us through the tough times that first year, a lot of things happened. And so, but we, we were, we were excited and things were fun. And it was just kind of like when something broke down, we're like, Oh, it's just part of the adventure. But that, that actually kind of got old. I mean, kind of, that's kind of one of the reasons why we were only, we only did it for three years because in that, in that third year, things started breaking down and you're like, Oh, the fifth time, like I'm tired of fixing this thing. I think things were getting harder or our perception of it just because God wanted us to kind of, kind of change that kind of go into another phase of selling the trailer and kind of getting more established in a new part. And, um, 
a new part of the country and, and, and it, most of the state. When we were when we were thinking of moving, leaving Provo, we thought we're gonna go and get a farm in Texas. We thought, you know, if you leave Provo, you gotta go and do something big and crazy. I would have never sold our house and moved to St. George if I hadn't traveled for three years across and then came back. And I think so. That's <laughs> it, a lot of things in hindsight worked out the way they should, and we're we're in a place now that it's amazing. Like it's so great for us and our family, and and I feel like we're just. Like just kind of getting into like, you know, what, what's, what's in store for us next. I love all of that insight that you brought in just from traveling in an RV in a fifth well for all that time and the community community aspect to me. I really, really love that, especially because you've got these little people in your lives and you're showing them all kinds of different people everywhere that you go and that you can find good people and you can find happiness in so many different places. I think that's such a very wonderful gift to be able to give to your children. And also, obviously, your eyes and Bailey's eyes were open to the idea of like, oh, our V parks have great people in them and we can create yeah. lasting friendships, it sounds like. And so thank you for sharing all that. And you sound like you're very guided by God, how he speaks to you and comes through you and tells you what to do. That was your big why. It was kind of like you felt you were in the place you needed to be until it was yeah. time to then move out of that place into St. George. I think the story of you kind of from point A to point B was Provo to St. George. However, knowing, you know, as God does that, you're not going to do that. He's going to yeah. show you a whole big world and you're going to grow. Your family's going to grow. And so then when it's time to land in St. George, you're there for it. I love that whole arc. That whole story arc was really cool and very unexpected. I think in just in that question that we asked, I just have to tell you that I am fascinated by all of your traveling things and I you you gave me like this list to go through and <laughs> look at <laughs> let's chat for a second about manifesting so manifesting is such a hot word right now and there are so many people who feel stuck in their lives and we're looking for that secret sauce we're looking to take control of our lives and feel like we have a say in what's going on. We're really wanting to figure out how to experience what we want to. Kelsey and I, we've both been in this place. We've taken the deep dive into so many of the manifestation teachers and techniques that exist. From being in the vibration, law of attraction, vision boards, the whole shebang. Okay, so we both think those practices have value, but they didn't address the underlying subconscious beliefs that stood in the way of creating this life we truly desired until we found to be magnetic. Guys, to be magnetic or TBM is a unique manifestation process. TBM uses tools like psychology, EMDR, epigenetics, and energetics with a little spirituality sprinkled throughout 
to reprogram the subconscious and address the limiting beliefs we've picked up during our childhood and throughout our lives and it creates this really beautiful space for us to step into our most whole, worthy, authentic self. And it's from this space that we manifest the life we desire. We manifest what we feel worthy of. Okay, so that makes sense. And TBM totally guides you into that reclamation. Kelly and I, we both joined the TBM Met Pathway membership for different reasons, but to kind of package it all together, we love the at-home therapy aspect. We love the on-demand workshops that address the blocks that are standing in the way of our dream life, like from money and relationships to career and home. We also super love the community support and the language that's used within the program. It gives clarity to the energetics of manifesting. And we actually use a lot of that language here on the reclamation. So if you want to understand what manifesting is all about from a unique perspective that's backed by science, it has a clearly laid out step-by-step -step program to follow, check out To Be Magnetic. You can find them at tobemagnetic.com and it's your lucky day. You can receive 15% off your membership price by using our code RECLAIM. That's R-E-C-L-A-I-M. Look at that. You're already manifesting good things. If you're interested, but not quite ready to jump into the membership, check out the TBM podcast called Expanded. There you're going to learn all about the process, hear from industry experts, and walk through the experiences other current Pathway members are having within the process. So many are reclaiming who they are. It's really fun to listen to. Then when you're ready, you can use our code RECLAIM to get 15% off your membership. Andy, you're here to talk to us about your journey with addiction to drugs and your 10 years of sobriety so far. And we're really grateful to have you here and to share all that you've learned in Thank that you. journey as well. So my first question for you is, Tell us about how old you were when you first started using. What does the beginning of this story look like? Okay. So I, th I think I started actually exp like partying and doing drugs when I was 17. I think I was a, a junior in high school. And and for those that, I guess you can kind of paint, kind of understand this picture, but growing up, it's very easy to kind of get sucked, sucked into this idea of, um, you have to live at this at a certain standard, and if you don't, then you're then you feel feel lower than other people, and um, and so before then, I, I was kind of a part of that kind of mindset um, where I, I I had a very high standard for myself. I mean, you, you go and talk to some people when I was younger playing baseball, thirteen or fourteen, and um, I mean maybe this is kind of how it is for a lot of people, but swear words were hurt, would, would hurt my ear. And, uh, and I would never have, never have imagined the, the path that I took. Uh, even at, even at age 16, I, I never would have imagined. Um, but I just remember just being with, being with the friends that you always have been and 
and at some point either somebody introduces it or you just don't think it's that harmless and at the time you're just doing it because you were just a kid you were um you were just doing it because you were you were just looking for something fun to do or it, it was it was fun to do and um and, and when i ended up kind of uh smoking and drinking for the first time uh it was one of those things where it's like okay well it's a, it's a weekend thing you know i'm only gonna like I, I did it on a friday and then the next and then a, a, maybe a month later you do it on another friday and it was just kind of like a, a social thing that you did and i didn't really have like a specific drug of choice it was kind of like if i could fi- if i could find it or if somebody offered it to me i i would find a way to to do it and enjoy it and so like i remember um uh starting to get into like Adderall for school because Adderall supposedly helped you to study and you could do well at school. And I justified it that way saying like, I'm doing this so I could do well at school. And then when you do Adderall, then you kind of have this edge. You kind of get irritable. So you got to, you know, uh, smoke weed to kind of bring that down. And there was always kind of this fine balance of like wanting to stay at a certain, what you thought was normal. Um, like me with my AD, with my ADD, I always wanted to kind of stay up and stay productive. I kind of found that I wanted to kind of always kind of just be, have high energy. I always felt good about like, I'm going to get all my homework done and then I can go and celebrate by going and partying. If you can remember why you kept going to once you started, what yeah. was it that kept you coming back to finding that high and then that that drug that brought you back down and the seesaw of the balance what kept you in that what void did it fill for you i think specifically for me it felt that the drugs that i were doing kind of gave me a confidence i hadn't had before um i remember going to high school dances and i was so nervous to dance uh i just would stand there and look like an idiot being the only person that wasn't dancing. And I remember that kind of, the the drugs that I would do, I'd go to different parties or clubs and um, that just wasn't there anymore. And it kind of gave me this new sense of freedom where I could dance and I could be more confident myself um, with, with guys and girls. I really enjoyed being in the spotlight in the sense of like making people laugh and making, and making people have a good time. And it felt like it was my responsibility to give other people a good time. I I was always the one that would um, find a way to bring the drugs because I wanted to share them with everyone because I wanted to be the person to to make sure that everyone had a good time. And I think that that was a strong motivation of why um, I enjoyed doing it. Uh, I also incorporated it into my daily life. And so like, again, I'm in high school. I'm trying to still be a good student, still get good grades. I played baseball and I wanted to be the best that I could be. And so I found that I was doing drugs every day that I thought helped me to kind of just keep on doing that. Um, you know, I was on Adderall every I didn't like to come down. And so I found a way to always be on something all the time that I felt like was mm-hmm. helping me. And, um, and that was, that was, that was, you, you take some Adderall and then you go and hit a home run in a baseball game. Then you're thinking, oh crap, now I have to take Adderall to hit a home run. So you're always, I, it always felt like if I don't take this, then I'm not going to be able to do my homework. 
or if I don't take this, I'm not going to be able to go and have a good time. And so then that, that's, kind of, that's what created the, sort of the addiction of like doing it every day. And then what was hard was all the time, just being a kid and not having the money to buy it all the time. You'd go on these spells where like, you'd go a couple of days without having something. And I just remembered how bad that sucked. And it just consumed your mind of like, I got to do whatever I can to try to like, you know, go and get this, this, this bag of weed so that we can get back to what the way that we were doing it before. Um, and so it was just, it just kind of became like this thing that you obsessed over. Um, I think there's a lot of addicts in the world, but they don't know it until they have that first drink or, or drug. And so there's that aspect to it. I'm always one that says, I'm going to do this all now and I'll find a way to like, um, to get it later. Cause I, I, I didn't like saving things or I didn't like, um, what's the word kind of like conserving it. And so I was always one to just like, you know, if we had, if we had alcohol, we were going to drink it all today. Or if we had all the Adderall, we we're going to do it all today. Um, and that's just, that's kind of going into recovery and, 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 uh, doing the daily recovery and things that you need to do. You learn that that's, that's exactly just the, the addict's mind mindset of like, what gets you deeper and deeper into that, uh, that habit. So Andy, I was curious if you were prescribed for ADD Adderall or if like, if that was separate. So I, at first I wasn't, um, but I had a lot of friends that did. And I'm sure this is, I'm sure it's worse now than when I was a kid, but it was so easy to get. Um, I, I had friends in, I had friends that some had Adderall, some had um, Ritalin, um, but everyone, I think Adderall was the one that everyone wanted because uh, it allowed you kind of, it, it, it was, it was the one that was the strongest. And so there were times where I, in a bad way, you kind of make friends with the people that had the prescriptions. And um, I always thought that I was genuine. I, I always tried to kind of treat them nicely, but like, in a sense, like, that's kind of how you initially start and becoming friends as you they kind of give you some of their prescription. And I remember going in and, and realizing like, Hey, there's a, there's a more economical way to do this. I'm going to, instead of going and paying five or $6 for one pill, I'm going to see if I can get a prescription. And it wasn't too bad at first. I'll, I'm going to see if I can relate this story. So when I was, when I was like eight or nine years old, I thought it was cool to, to wear glasses. I thought, I mean, and it, it's not, it's not, not cool to wear glasses, but I was like, I, I want to wear glasses because it's a cool thing to do. And so I lied to my eye doctor and like, I told, I totally could see fine, but I lied to my eye doctors just so I could get glasses of prescription. But little did I know that like, that was completely pointless because my eyes were so bad. Like and I was going to need, I was going to need glasses anyway, but at the time I totally lied to my doctor to get that prescription. And so that's kind of what I ended up doing, um, later on where it's like, uh, I kind of make up I and mean, I, I knew what I needed to answer to kind of get what I wanted to get. But like, I totally have all the symptoms of like ADD. So like, I, I didn't need to go in and lie. I just needed just to say what I, how life was. You, it, it's a long process because you, what you get is not all, it's never good enough. And so I ended up getting a little bit and it helped out, but I still wanted more. And so I still would kind of find a way to kind of lie and just so I could kind of get 
as much as I can, as, as potent as I can. And so I ended up getting a prescription. And uh, the problem was, is uh, I'd get that once a month. And I remember as soon as I'd get it, I'd be like half gone with it in like the first two days. Um, me and all my friends, we all had prescriptions. And so whoever had the active prescription at that time would kind of divvy out and share it out. And then when they were gone, the next person would get their prescription and just share it out. And so that was kind of the, the way so that you're not spending thousands of dollars on it, but you're getting at least at the time when you're a kid, you're getting it for free because your, your parents are paying for the prescription. And so you're getting all this for free. There were some people that never did Adderall and they would get the prescription. Sorry, they, they, they had a prescription for Adderall, but they would never take it. And they would just, every time, every month, they, they just would sell it and make like $300. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't very hard to get. Um, but I, I'd, I'd, use, I'd use it up in a couple of days and then spend the next few weeks just like back to the way it was before where you buy, you know, buy a pill at a time, buy a pill a day. And basically you have to make that one pill last for the whole day. And so um, you think that there's better, you think like, I'm going to, I'm going to like snort half of it. And then in six hours, I'm going to snort the other half. And that's going to help me get to the next day. And so mm -hmm. you start to create ways in your brain of thinking like, I only have this little bit, I'm going to make it preserve until I know that I can get the next, the next little bit again. So I want to bring it into this idea of the high that you were feeling on the drug. It brought you a sense of maybe control over how you showed up. You were able to show up how you wanted to as more of the life of the party, somebody who was active in the social circles, also show up as the athlete that you wanted to be. And I'm listening and kind of getting this picture of this kid who really wanted to be seen this certain way, but was having a hard time being seen that way without the drug that was able to almost calm him down enough to be able to show up like he actually wanted to, to let go of all of the anxiety and the nervousness that existed. Is that kind of something that you would you could relate to was a draw to that drug, to the drugs. Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. Um, it, it wasn't until I started recovery that I learned to actually deal with my emotions and learn how like I'm yes. feeling sad and like, you don't have a, you don't have a way to deal with that besides like the natural ways to deal with sadness, you know, talking about it, kind of just dealing with it back, back in school, you're dealing with all sorts of different things. You're dealing with pressure and anxiety and, 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 and you're scared and you're happy and all these different things. But you know that if I take this drug, it's going to get me here. Or if I take this drug, it's going to bring me down and mellow me out. So you, you, you knew how it was going to make you feel just by taking something and you had that instant, pretty, pretty close to instant, um, it's something that you, it, it was definitely a crutch. And, um, and, and especially kind of, as I started getting deeper into my addiction, uh, through marriage and, and hiding it and, 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 and kind of being in this, this life 
of of lies and trying to remember okay what did i lie about today and like how do i continue to like stay in that uh, i look back now and just felt so terrible because of the, the pain that i put my wife through and she wasn't able to she didn't have the luxury of numbing your feelings of of um taking a pill and just feeling you know taking the pain away and so i didn't necessarily i didn't realize how, how much i took that for granted in the sense of like um th there was that draw to it so my, my belief in god I, I i always was feeling this uh this, this pull this I, I felt like i was living two lives and i and i feel fortunate because i never let the things that i was doing affect my testimony or my belief in god and that helped me to it helped me to kind of have a good heart and stay where I'm at. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm so grateful now. And some people talk about them being grateful for their addiction. And in some ways, I, I feel like going through 10 years of recovery, I still have the benefits of, I mean, because there were some benefits to the life that I was living before, like uh, kind of benefits. It helped me to be more social with people. It helped me to kind of break out of my shell. It helped me, I mean, kind of especially being in Provo or being in Utah, it helped me to stop caring about what people were saying about me. And I kind of learned really quickly, like, you know what, like, I really don't care what these group of people are saying about me. Um, and so I, I, I think that I still have aspects of that now where like, uh, I'm going to do what I think is best and not care about what if it's going to look bad to, to other people. Um, and so I, I'm really grateful for that. I'm grateful for that perspective. Uh, hopefully I answered your question the right way. I, I think there's a lot more to kind of still expand upon that question if you want to rephrase, like, add to it. I think it was great. And it it's a, it's a good picture of what we want to talk about next. At what point did you say enough is enough? <laughs> I can't keep doing this. And then take us through that whole journey, especially into the part where you recognize that feeling your own feelings were a big part of reclaiming your life back and taking control. I, uh, so I, I'm, again, I'm really grateful for, uh, I'm really grateful for knowing that God never forgot about me. And even through my eight, eight or nine years of, my addiction, that was kind of sprinkled. I still had moments of sobriety, you know, a month, a month here where I was, I was clean, trying to do as best I could. And kind of, I, I was, ne I never kind of fully went away. I, I always kind of stayed, at least stayed a little grounded. Um, there were some, there were some drawbacks to that because with addiction, um, you know, you're, you get to a point, you're sober. And when you end up relapsing most of the time you relapse twice as hard and you kind of go deeper in your addiction and so like i actually in some ways it kind of got me deeper and deeper into my addiction as i would relapse after a month or so i remember it got to the point that my wife uh, she knew and she felt very strongly that my time was getting closer to the it, it was going to get to the point where i was either going to go to prison or i was going to die and she didn't want to be around to watch me kill myself with the things that I was doing. And I think there was a, there was, there was a moment, uh, a night where she just kind of had enough 
And she said, I need to do something for things to change. And so she actually left and kind of moved out. And that was probably the first step. It still took me a couple of days of the shock, but that was kind of the very, that, that was one of the catalysts that got me to kind of break free. Um, if you look at, if you remember the Hercules movie in Disney, you kind of had all the planets align and then something happened, a door opened and those bad guys came out. But like, for me, I had like, timing was everything. And it was like, I feel like the planets finally aligned for me. And I finally looked at my life and saw, holy cow, like, what have I done? And I remember reading this, uh, it was just like an article, like it, it literally was an email sent to me from some digest that I signed up for, but I just started reading it. And it was like a couple pages and it like turned on a light bulb for me. And it was, it was hard to explain, but it's as simple as I finally understood in my brain that like I had the power to say yes or no. And for like five or six years, I was like, I do drugs because I felt like it's just what I did. And it's like, it, 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 it was second nature. It, it, I almost like lost my ability to, to, to say no to it. And maybe I was a, I was always a yes man to people. And so like, I was a, too afraid to say no to people. And I felt like I was too afraid to say no to my addictive self. And, and I finally had this aha moment that like, Hey, like I'm, I'm literally holding these drugs in my hand and I can, and if I want to, I can throw them away. And I, in those moments, like, I started to learn the ability to say no. And it, and, it, and it was as small as like, I really wanted to do these drugs, but I'm gonna say no for one minute. And I put it away and I put it in a cupboard. And then like one minute later, I'd go and grab it and be like, okay, now I'm at this crossroad. I'm gonna say no for five minutes. And I put it away for five minutes. And I just started just doing it little by little and everything happened so fast. I remember, I got the thought in my, my mind that said, you need to text this person. And I was like about, and I didn't know why, but I thought, ah, and I remember not doing it and I ended up sending it. And then, and then like a couple hours later, I got another prompt and it said, okay, now you need to do this thing. And it was like, he was leading me along, getting me to the point where this, and this was, this happened all night. And I just like, and I don't really know what was happening until the next day. I, um, so I always thought that the way to quit was to kind of go out with a, with a bang. And so I would use all my drugs and, and alcohol and say, okay, hey, we're going to use it all. And then I'm going to stop the next day. And that never worked. And it was finally this time where like, I had all these, I had all these drugs. And I remember just like having this prompting in my head that said, you need to tell your friends that you have them and, and that you need your help, that you need their help to kind of get rid of them. And, uh, and so I did that. And so it was just a series of events of just like, getting a prompting and then, and then acting on it and then getting a prompting and acting on it. And finally, at that point, things started just to fall into place. I ended up getting a, a prompting to ask a friend who I know has been a sponsor to other people. And I just said, Hey, like, I need some help to be my sponsor. And, um, and it was, it was always so hard to, I mean, I, I spent eight years trying to stop drugs and alcohol and failed miserably. And it was so hard. But for some reason, this time when everything aligned and I decided to stop, it was easy. And I, and I have never made a relapse since then. I stopped everything cold turkey that day, um, alcohol, 
every drug that I was doing, um, tobacco, everything, and just stopped that day. And even my sponsor was like, whoa, 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 slow down. You're like, don't, he was from the mindset of like, stop these things, but maybe, maybe keep tobacco for a little bit because that's going to help you to not slip up. But I felt like if I was going to do it, I needed to be a hundred percent. And, uh, and I knew in my mind that I finally did it. Like I, it, it was day one and day two, day three and day four. But like, I knew that I finally did it. And, um, but I, at that point I had to kind of explain, like, I broke a lot of trust with my wife. I broke a lot of trust with people. And so the only way for people to kind of believe me was I still had to kind of do the work and like do the time in a sense of sobriety. And I, and, and, um, she still hadn't moved. My, my wife Bailey still hadn't moved back in it, it was about 30 days because like, she didn't want to come back too soon and see me just get back into my old lifestyle. And I think that um, I had to kind of have a lot of humility knowing that even though I knew in my mind, I had hundred percent stopped and things were different than now. I still had to have humility realizing that I, I can't force things and I can't force things for my wife. And she has to, I mean, really she has to kind of, walk this own road of recovery herself um it wasn't one of those things where like she was up here and like i was down here and she was waiting for me to come up it was literally like she had she had to deal with anger and she had to deal with heartbreak and all these things that really kept her from living the life that she wants to live and she has to I mean, and so she's been on her own road of recovery too um one last thing that I remember that I think is important is um, I maybe had like three or four different drugs or things that I was doing at a time all the time. So like I had something in this pocket, I had something in my backpack and it was, it was very hard to kind of keep things hidden I mean, hidden all the time. Like I was getting caught all the time because I was, it was, it was constant. Like I had so many things that I had to, had to hide. And so when she would find when she would find something, I would be like, okay, like I, I, I'd have to admit to that, but knowing that I had these other things in the background, I had these other things hidden away. So like, I would kind of say, okay, like I'm done, I'm done. I promise I'm going to change knowing that I had these other things. And so when I finally, when, when things finally clicked, it was, this is one of those promptings that said, you have to tell her, you have to basically tell her everything and like, and let her know about everything. And even some drugs that she didn't know that I was doing that were more dangerous and you have to tell her everything. And it was, it, and I could feel this pull. I relate it to kind of like Lord of the Rings where like Gollum was like my precious. Like I had these things that she never knew about. That was like, I, I was too afraid to tell her, but it got to the point where like, I wasn't afraid anymore. And I told her and that, that broke the chains that broke everything. She stopped, she stopped for a moment being mad at me and mostly being like worried and scared and like saying, okay, well, and so at that point she kind of came on my side and say, let's do this together. Let's get you, let's get you some help. I'm still not going to move back, but let's get you some help. Um, and, and we kind of joke about this now, but it was about 30 days of sobriety. And, um, she was, she hadn't moved back in yet. And I was riding a longboard and, uh, 
I had barely just like, I took like one push and I tripped and I fell my elbow and shattered my elbow. And, and I had, and I, I think my parents were gone. And, um, and so I, I had to ask her for help to kind of take me to go get, you know, go to the hospital. And I, and I, and I think that that was the reason. So I, I should have led to this before, but I had a brother who passed away from drugs and alcohol about 20, 20 years ago. And so I feel like he has been a big part of my recovery and I felt wow. his presence a lot, almost to the point where I kind of believe that he kind of tripped me on my longboard so I could break my elbow so that my wife then had a reason to move back into the home. And that kind of just kind of, cause she, think I think it was time for her to kind of come back and kind of help me and then start kind of start a recovery that way. So a lot of things happen weird and for a reason, um, but you can't force it. You can just all the, the, the big, the biggest thing that I could do. And I, and I attribute to my recovery was just, I, I believe God is constantly sending little things for you to do. And if you act on it, then it, then it, it makes that connection a little stronger. And I was fortunate enough to finally act on it enough to make the decision to kind of stop drugs and alcohol. And, and that was kind of the beginning. What That was one of the beginnings because I still had a, I still ended up going to AA and other meetings every day for a few months. I was fortunate enough that I, I didn't have to do inpatient recovery. I did outpatient in the sense of like, I just, I went to meetings every day, but I still was able to kind of go to school and go to work. Um, I was very fortunate that I didn't have to basically, you know, I maybe would have lost my job if I would have had to go into inpatient for 60 days. And so I, I hit my rock bottom, but I was fortunate that I was able to kind of still do a few things to kind of help me move forward instead of going to jail or, 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 or overdose and like, like my, my brother who passed away. So I feel like I'm just a lot of series of events that were, that I'm just still grateful for. I, I definitely, I had a lot of experiences kind of in the, in those addiction years where I, I should have died. Um, I ended up, falling asleep at the wheel after a night of partying and driving 60 or 70 miles an hour through a telephone pole and flipping my car. And, uh, a lot of things that like, I don't know why at the time, I don't know why I was kept alive and I'm starting to just barely learn now, like, okay, like this is maybe why I'm alive, you know? And I think that that's kind of what our point of coming to this earth is like, trying to find our purpose in life. And so I, 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 I just think that it, it was just in some ways it was luck and love of God and action by me and action by Bailey. And just almost like it's just a, a group effort. I think Andy, as you're telling your story, there's so many pieces of what you're talking about that, I think every person can relate to like those small steps are so, they are so big. Like they seem small, but they are so crucial. 
I mean, it gets me teared up because even in my life, like, sure, mine doesn't, the situations don't look exactly like yours did, but constantly I've been telling myself in the past month that I can take this little step and I can trust myself in this and I can hold to my action that I want it to do, you know? So I really applaud you for, for your consistency and really trusting in yourself and listening to the little pings that came your way because that's, that's like where the biggest battle is like just listening to it and seeing it, you know? So thank you. Just really inspiring. Yeah. I was going to say Kelsey and I are big believers in God universe our ancestors our angels, whoever it is that you look to for guidance. We're big believers that they are there to support you and guide you. I loved that you included that in your story. And that that was something that never went away for you. And I see this picture of this moment that happens where the stars align for you, AKA you're completely rock bottomed more than you had ever been before because your wife took that step and she, she left and it caused this domino effect in your life. And God put everything there for you right there. And those stars aligning and those texts that, that you were encouraged to send the next steps you were encouraged to do the idea of your brother being there for you kind of, I was like, Oh my gosh, your brother was one of your first sponsors, right? Really pulling you up out of where you were. Andy, there's so much for you here. There's so much life for you here. I just love that message that lies in there of the support that's always there for us and that exists for us. And this cheerleading team that we do have, we just have to step into it and recognize it. And like Kelsey said, and like you said, we take that next step. We take that next step for you is day one, day two, day three, day four. And yeah, like Kelsey said, so many of us find ourselves in this situation in, in a different dynamic, but it's this situation of, I got to trust myself. I got to take this one right next, one next step, the right next step. I'm pretty sure there's a Disney show that's like, it's in Frozen. Oh, it's Elsa. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's Anna. Anna's the next right thing <laughs> over and over and over it's yes. totally that's what we that's that's awesome yeah it's what we i um did you i again i i think it's important i i have met and i've and i've tried to be i'm a sponsor now for for some people too who are who are struggling where i was and, and in some in some aspects they're they're actually dealing with it harder than i have and i and i feel like there are times where people feel like they don't have that support group. And I, and I think that maybe that's true, but to the extent of what the way I had described, like I was, I was super fortunate to have a wife who stayed around. I was super, super fortunate to have, um, you know, both parents alive who have been through something like this before friends who went to recovery meetings with me. Um, but I think that everybody has going through addiction. I, we, we talk about needing to needing to kind of submit to your higher power. And I always attribute high, my higher power being, you know, I do believe in God. And so my higher power was God. And I think that God sends 
even one person when 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 you're when when somebody's an addiction and they're praying or asking for help i think that god does send at least one person support person some sort of help whether it's on this side or the other side of the veil and uh and it, it, and so I, I do think that there's help around us if we can kind of uh recognize it um and it may not may not always be what we want it to be they may not always if we compare ourselves to others even in recovery it's really easy to start feeling sorry for yourself being like i only have one support person and this person over here has three support persons no wonder he hasn't relapsed and i have and i feel like it's important to like recognize like maybe that one support person is going to be a better than this person's three support people like being able to kind of it, it's uh it's hard to explain because everyone's situation is different and i and i just i just have to just stay grateful because that's that, that helps me even now or just dealing with the, the things that i'm dealing with now as a father and 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 realizing that like if i didn't make those decisions before i wouldn't even have a family I didn't even have, you know, we didn't have any kids before I was sober, like, sober. and um, and so just staying grateful has helped me now kind of move forward. So neat. Gratitude is so, is everything, truly. It's the, the quick magic that we can find, you know, just simple, being simply grateful for even the smallest things. Andy, thank you so much for taking this time, for sharing your story, for being so inspiring. And we really bless you, wish you so much happiness in your new life and St. George and all the things that you guys are going to create together down there. It's been an awesome experience. Thanks for letting me talk and share. And uh, maybe we'll cross paths again. I know we will. I hope so. so. Thank you. 